Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Thanks for being with us today. Well, our topic today is the healthcare industry and healthcare real estate, and it is a huge subject. Healthcare spending in the U.S. in 2012 back then was 17.9% of GDP. And you look at the Affordable Care Act, which began enrollment in October 2013, uh, you have more patients. Uh, You also have the baby boomers coming of age. And healthcare is an interesting segment of the commercial real estate. It's a lot more involved than than most segments and uh, very interesting discussion to talk about. Well, please welcome my first guest, John Sweet. John is Executive Vice President and Chief Investment Officer with Physicians Realty Trust. Uh, They own or have equitable title to $700. $122 million of property medical office buildings in the U.S., including 40 buildings that they've bought in the last 14 months. John, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Michael. Well, we appreciate uh, you being on the show and, and calling in. And you know, let's talk about the impact from Obamacare on the healthcare industry at this point. I mean, you guys study the industry. You see the success of your medical tenants around the country firsthand, and you have the opportunity to talk to healthcare providers on a daily basis about their business. How has the Affordable Act, or Obamacare, as Obama doesn't mind calling it, impacted the business of healthcare providers that you talk to? I have my my own views based on anecdotal information and and our experiences uh, over the the last uh, several months in acquiring uh, medical office buildings, ambulatory surgery centers, and specialty hospitals. And the the vast majority of the the properties that we acquired were owned by physicians who entered into sale leasebacks with us where we we acquired their property and turned around and, and, and leased it to them. Right after our initial public offering in July of 2013, we, uh, we aggressively went out to invest in, in medical real estate. And one of the things that we, uh, we found in those early days was that there was a tremendous level of anxiety amongst the physicians in all practices, primarily by the uncertainty of what the Affordable Care Act really was going to, to mean. And that, in part, I think, prompted over the past uh, 14 months or so, a number of physician practices to sell out to hospitals, to become employed by the hospitals rather than remaining independent, Uh, mergers of large physician practice groups into even larger groups. Also, uh, a willingness uh, that had not occurred prior to that to consider selling their real estate, uh, particularly the, the, the senior doctors in a practice who are interested in taking some capital off the table. Uh, and uh, entering into long-term contracts with us or leases. And so uh, my feeling was that it was all about uncertainty and, and uh, that that was the, the main thrust of it. Interestingly enough, in the past few days, I, saw a, I got the information from a survey that was done by an online uh, physician practice uh, website in which they talked about uh, everything to do with the with the Affordable Care Act, and some of the answers were were a little bit inconsistent with my own thoughts. But uh, in looking at them, I think it probably has more to do with time than uh, than anything else. Uh, for instance, uh, they polled about twelve hundred or thirteen hundred physicians, and the question was, how do they feel about uh, the the Affordable Care Act? 19% said it was great for America, 42% it was mostly good but was not perfect, 
and 39% it was bad for America. So you, you see it was a 60-40 split, and this is in, in, in more recent times. And the unique thing, though, that came with that was the question was, how has Obamacare affected your practice? Uh, almost 38% said minimally, uh, 16% said moderately, and only 6.2% said uh, significantly, and 40% said not at all. So I think that the anxiety has, uh, is still there. However, uh, I don't know that they feel that there's enough has happened yet to, to, to see how it's going to end up in the long run. So uh, I'd say the, 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 uh, the, the jury is out a little bit on it. But right now, it doesn't appear that it has had a big, significant impact on practices and physicians. And what types of specialties has it impacted the most? Are there any winners and losers losers in the specialties that these physicians are involved in? Well, two answers to that. One is I think that uh, any practice that is inefficient is is not uh, has not uh, you know embraced medical records uh, does not have a a professional manager is going to is not going to fare well if i were to, to to then winnow it down into various practices i would say that the general practitioner and internist is probably going to be a winner in this because what we are talking about ultimately w- with the affordable care act is that a certain level of dollars are going to be available for each of us to uh, to use for our health care and that we as, as patients, as well as doctors in, in, in coaching us and counseling us, as will, will help us decide where those dollars get spent. So essentially, the, the general practitioner is going to hold the purse strings, and they're the ones who are going to designate which, which specialty and which specialists will be brought in on a, on a particular case. So I would say that uh, the, 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 the family doctor who historically has been the lowest compensated within the, the realm of uh, the hierarchy of, of physicians and specialties is probably going to do, do well. I would say that on the other end of the spectrum, uh, cardiology, oncology are absolutes. And so I, I think that they will be little affected uh, by what is, uh, what's happening with uh, the Affordable Care Act. And if there are any losers, it may be in the area of re- reimbursement in imaging and in uh, dialysis and some other things where the reimbursement rates are, are, are being squeezed by, uh, by Medicare, Medicaid currently, and, and by private pay. So that will continue. Okay, and we're talking with John Sweet with the Physicians Realty Trust. And, 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 John, there was a lot of talk about increased demand for office space, for medical office space in particular, with, with more people being insured and the baby boomers coming of age. What are you actually seeing on the ground there? Are you seeing a lot more demand for space? No, I'm seeing a lot more demand for efficient space. You know, one of the things that uh, adding 30 million people or whatever the number is that they're talking about adding uh, to the roles of the insured, that did not increase the number of doctors. There's a a tremendous shortage of doctors in this country. Uh, Some estimates are as high as 100,000. And unfortunately, the the, uh, medical schools are not turning out enough doctors even to cover those who over the next few years will be uh, retiring. The average age of a doctor in this country is 55. 
and uh, the number of, of uh, physicians coming out is, is not going to be sufficient 10 years from now uh, to uh, compensate for those who will begin in, in going into their retirement years. So uh, that, that in and of itself will limit the amount of, of, of space, doctor space per se. What we are seeing, though, is because the Affordable Care Act is supposed to extend out what had already started, which is moving patients out of a hospital into an outpatient setting, is it's going to now demand a higher level of quality of care as well as a reduction in the cost of providing that care. So what you're going to see is older buildings, inefficient, are going to become are going to be uh, vacated, and new buildings that are highly efficient, multi-specialty, with everything in one, in a one-stop shop, is going to become more and more important. And to do that, new facilities are being built, but they're more replacement than they are additional. So you're expecting uh, demand to increase for these new buildings. Do you expect construction to uh, ramp up? We do think that there's going to be some expansion of uh, of uh, outpatient facility uh, development and as the hospitals continue to acquire the uh, physician practices uh, while they may wish to leave them in their current location some are going to feel that they need to put those doctors in a new outpatient setting maybe in a different part of uh, in a different geographic area in order to capture uh, a higher percentage of uh, future patients coming in a in an area that may have a higher uh, level of private pay as opposed to where they are now. Okay. And John, are you guys still in a buy mode there at Physicians Realty Trust? Absolutely. Uh, we are, uh, we're growing at a fairly rapid pace. Uh, we, we'd like to think that we have, uh, we've made the whole process a little easier. All of us come out of the healthcare world as opposed to out of real estate per se. And because of that, we think we have a pretty good understanding of, you know, what physicians are facing, what hospitals are facing. And we, we think that we make a pretty good partner for both of those groups and, and hope to continue to grow our, uh, our company. John Sweet, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, stay tuned. We have more on healthcare and healthcare real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for being with us today. Today we're talking about the healthcare industry and healthcare real estate. Please welcome my guest, Paul Zeman. Paul is president of National Healthcare Capital Market Group and partner with Bull Realty. Paul and his team become known as the go-to brokers to buy and sell medical office buildings. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Join being here. Also, please welcome Henry Johnson, Chief Strategy Officer, Freeze Johnson. Freeze Johnson is a design, build, and general contracting company that has been very active building medical office buildings. Henry, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Good to be here, Michael. Well, gentlemen, you heard John Sweet's view on the demand for, for medical office space and in what he expects moving forward. What do you see in your practice? How, how significant is really the increased demand in the medical office space, or, or, or is it significant? You know, Michael, it is significant, and there should always be a need for health care, and how strong that need is is, is still going to depend on a lot of factors uh, in any given market uh, overall. Uh, 
the how close nearby referral sources are, the proximity of a property to a hospital campus, and just the demographics overall. Yeah, and so your your investors are are pretty bullish on buying uh, medical office buildings. So obviously they expect demand to increase, right? Absolutely. And and you're building these medical office buildings, and and I guess you're building mainly for for users. Uh, we're partnered with healthcare systems, users, so they're private practice groups that want to own their own real estate, um, you know, projects that hospitals have been involved with, but <clears throat> it's definitely been busy. Yeah, so you're seeing a lot more demand than you did a few years ago now that people are seeing what uh, Obamacare is doing or not doing? Uh, we are. I think the, res- you know, the pure impact of that is yet to be uh, seen, but obviously I think the velocity of our projects, we're pricing twice as much volume as we did this time last year. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I was just looking, I've got an article here from the uh, National Real Estate Investor where they, they talk about uh, the, just the southeast, there's $2 billion in new MOB uh, projects planned for the next two years. That just gives you an idea, just one region of the country where it's just on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul, of course, it depends on the actual building and the submarket. But but overall, how are investors, you know, providers and their lenders underwriting future demand when it comes to to rates and vacancy? You know, I'll I'll reiterate what you said, Michael, about the investors being very bullish. In, mm-hmm. in fact, they are. And a lot of them have got a, a very severe need to, to deploy capital. But as far as the underwriting goes, a lot of the, the properties that I work with, they're mostly institutional quality assets. And mm-hmm. the underwriting is largely spelled out in the leases. So there's only some interpretation on, on the underwriting there and uh, not not a lot, though. Yeah. And Henry, what do you see there that are when you have these healthcare systems, if they have vacant space, uh, do they tell you how they're under, how, when they expect to fill the space or how much demand they're expecting? You know, I think the dynamics of underwriting these projects have probably got a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, we at Freeze Johnson, we do a tremendous amount of physician-owned properties. So we, you know, some of these are developer-driven. Some of them are physician-owned properties where they are developing their own real estate with um, help with guys like us. But I think you know, the dynamic is different now that the hospitals are engaged because you've gone from having brokers, uh, not brokers, but um, doctors and physician groups that maybe sign short-term leases. Paul, maybe you might um, see this as well. And now you have hospitals that are doing bigger deals, signing bigger uh, leases, and they've got better credit. Right. And we like that, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and what about Obamacare? How has that impacted demand for the space at this point? Paul, are you seeing more demand? You know, Michael, I am seeing, you know, more so than just what I would classify as more demand, but I'm seeing the large physician practices being a little bit more comfortable with where they are right now Mm -hmm. and where maybe in 2011, 2012, they were kind of on hold with some projects. A lot of them are are pushing on, Uh, but something else that we're seeing that there are so many uh, physician practice acquisitions going on with the hospitals, uh, that the hospitals are being more aggressive leasing space, um, especially off campus out in the suburbs. Uh, where they're they're reaching out to a larger audience, and sometimes we see the hospitals leasing space, not necessarily intending to use it immediately, but they just want to have a really nice, beautiful office somewhere uh, to make it more attractive to other physician practices. They're thinking about buying. It's like, hey, we we'd like to move you here. So, okay, and how do healthcare providers feel about Obamacare? today if, if you you ask them you know how you feel about it today compared to two years ago uh, you know what are they telling you? you you know Michael I had a conversation this morning with the CEO of a very large orthopedic clinic and uh, he was very frank with me that he doesn't like it um, 
you know, I think that initially many of the large position practices feared that this was the first step towards a, a single payer or uh, Hillary Care, mm -hmm. and we haven't heard that in a while. Mm -hmm. But um, his biggest frustration revolved around the, the lack of reporting amongst the exchanges, and it's really difficult to manage these patients' uh, levels of eligibility. You know, have they paid? Have they not paid? Uh, they might have paid, you know, 90 days ago, but they come in for today's visit and they're not up to speed. The practice doesn't know it, and and ultimately they don't get paid. But uh, it was it was put to me in very simple terms that that they would really prefer that healthcare insurance be purchased more in a manner like buying car insurance, mm -hmm. where if you're 400 pounds, you're diabetic, you've had three heart attacks, you're going to pay rates equivalent to the 25-year-old kid with three DUIs driving <laughs> driving his dad's Ferrari uh, with a dozen speeding tickets. Okay, so uh, uh, they, they'd like to see something more along those lines. Yeah, well, that'd be uh, interesting to, to see how that would turn out. But but some physicians uh, are fond of Obamacare, aren't they? I, you, I really don't see it in the folks that we're talking to. You know? I, you know, I think two things are for certain. <clears throat> There's more paying customers. There's more capital than ever before. So I think with those two things are certainly a plus for our industry. But, you know, talking to the various physician groups, I think uh, John hit the nail on the head when he said uncertainty because that's probably the most common word used in uh, having these discussions. And if you polled these physicians today, what, what would they say? You, you have That's a good question. You know, I, I went when uh, I was looking at that question, I went and, and you know, did a little search on uh, we're members of MGMA, Medical Group Management Association. And went, they just issued a survey in May of 2014 where they uh, included more than 700 groups and 40,000 physicians. And, you know, uh, what was the impact of the Affordable Care Act on their particular practice? You know, of those 2.5% said positive things about it you know more than 56% um, reported no change in volume at all in their patients so I think you know and, and speaking with all these practices is unique because you would think uh, intuitively that there would be more patients out there they would be overwhelmed but I think there's two things going on that um, you know one there's uncertainty about reimbursements and that that's really going to continue in uh, for a long time and and two, with the insurances, I think a lot of people have signed up, and now their their insurances may be more narrow than they thought. So, uh, these groups have extremely some of the you know employees have extremely high deductibles. So I, I heard from a provider recently, and he said that uh, they're actually having less patient volume because the deductibles have gotten so high that the folks that normally came to the doctors on regular scheduled visits aren't. So, yeah. well, that was an interesting twist. Right. And Obamacare aside, I mean, you have a lot of other factors that are going to increase demand for health care services and medical office space. I mean, you have the baby boomers coming of age, right? Uh, you have a very health-conscious uh, America, or at least in California, right? Maybe. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, so there's more doctor visits. So there should be more demand overall, regardless of Obamacare, shouldn't there, Paul? Uh, theoretically, there should be. Um, that's the big mystery with Obamacare is that we know that it's going to uh, increase patient volumes uh, by how much we don't know, mm -hmm. and it's going to decrease uh, physician reimbursement and by how much we don't exactly know. But the big numbers that we were hearing a few years ago about the increased demand uh, really haven't been there, would you say? You know, it's hard to really quanti quantify that. We mm -hmm. see, you know, some studies of how many additional square feet per additional insured would be needed. Mm -hmm. um, really kind of intricate math. All right, we'll have more in a moment. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. 
With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about healthcare and healthcare real estate. My guests are Paul Zeman and Henry Johnson. And Henry, let's talk a little bit about construction and, and demand for for new supply. There, you know, what are you seeing for levels of new construction? It doesn't seem like I've seen that many cranes, you know, around uh, building new buildings. What is, what are new supply levels right now? Well, probably, you know, a lot of these buildings aren't that tall, so you're probably not going to see too many cranes. But, you know, in terms of where they're going, I think, you know, the dynamic has completely changed, right? So, you know, the medical office building or outpatient clinic is now a new dynamic in the continuum of care, right? So uh, hospitals are kind of thinking through the strategy of how they're going to get out to the neighborhoods. And I think, you know, it's a lot like what retail went through years ago. These, You know, it's difficult to go downtown to Macy's to buy a tie. You're going to go to you know, somewhere nearby that, you know, you know, you can get there easily, easy access, easy signage, you can see the front door. So um, you're not going to see cranes. These are, you know, 100,000 square foot and less buildings that are probably three and four stories. And, you know, just look around the communities that you're in. I think you'll see uh, out in the suburban markets, a lot of these, we do a lot of multi-specialty clinics. So I know Paul has toured one of our buildings recently up in the Tennessee and, you know, it was a quarter of a million square foot build a suit for a, a multi-specialty practice. So I think, you know, the volume of that is really increased because uh, these buildings that they're in, they get outdated. The technology changes in healthcare, and these folks, if they can't retrofit a building for an appropriate price, they're going to go and build a new facility. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what are the hot uh, property types and, uh, you know, and, and uses right now? Well, we're seeing a number of different trends. And again, that's, you know, healthcare realizing, it's almost like, I hear this a lot and uh, talking to, to uh, healthcare systems, they're saying, hey, what is our retail strategy? And that's something that was never used in healthcare before. Nobody referred to a patient as a customer, right? So I think uh, with that in mind, you're starting to see different types of buildings. There's a whole new um, area of, of building construction components that you never even saw before in healthcare. So. You know, freestanding EDs is one that's pretty prevalent. We've been involved in probably a half dozen of these. And so, you know, that used to be the first type of project that you would see on a campus, and then it would later evolve. They would build a hospital. They would build an MOB. They would build an imaging center. It would become a huge healthcare campus. But now, you know, these sometimes often look like Chase Bank sites. They're high-end, super high-end retail locations, high traffic. They're doing sophisticated demographic studies to suggest, and these people know when they open the building exactly how busy it's going to be. So, Dock in the box, huh? Um, drive through healthcare. <laughs> well, not dock in the box, but they're very expensive. Right. <laughs> so on top of that, we're seeing, you know, outpatient clinics is probably the biggest term. And I think that's part of this whole continuum of care. Healthcare systems are realizing that, hey, we have to get, um, you know, a lot of people are referring to these buildings as hospitals without beds because they're trying to see what services can we get out of the hospital and put in a building that costs sometimes you know, a third to a fifth less in cost. So you're seeing um, outpatient clinics because, you know, now you can go and have surgery in these buildings. They're having, you know, surgical centers. We're seeing diagnostics, laboratories, uh, multi-specialty clinics. So I think, you know, these buildings cost substantially less to build, substantially less to operate, substantially less to maintain, and probably have less regulatory pressures in terms of who's managing all that from the healthcare system. So that's a big thing. Uh, sports training and orthopedic, we see a lot of 
demand and orth big orthopedic clinics and some of these having their own uh, sports training you know a lot of folks uh, you know see their their kids and you know wanting to train these guys to be in division one sports and they're spending a lot of money uh, with these sports training groups so it's interesting to watch them grow um, medical recovery centers we've been seeing uh, that so I think as you see the aging population you're going to see folks a lot of knee replacements hip replacements there's actually facilities that we're talking about that have a hotel component so these will be you know surgical centers with overnight stay something we really haven't seen much of before but that's becoming a trend uh, boutique uh, boutique hospitals we're seeing a lot of that there's just smaller hospitals that have overnight stay we'll have ed surgical center and, and hospitals so we're seeing those that are um, in higher uh, demographic areas they're not big buildings they're probably 50 million and less as opposed to 200 million dollar projects and, and the land is it gets a little cheaper on some of these projects, right? It's not just on campus anymore, right, where you had that very high land lease or, or, or purchased the land. Uh, so it's, it's spreading out across the country, right? You don't have to go downtown and go to the, That's right. to the campus. I think you're right. I think, you know, so a lot of the systems are looking at this as what they call a hub-and-spoke development, right? Mm-hmm. So what the, the idea is that you keep the very critically ill people in the most expensive square, by, you know, the most expensive per square foot space, which is generally the hospital. You're going to have cancer care, cardiac cath labs, mm-hmm. the really, really, really uh, expensive procedures that need to be done. They're going to be in the expensive space. And then things that could be done in a medical office building that is uh, fitted out as an outpatient clinic are going to be done there. And we're short on the break, but what are you seeing in these properties that you didn't see before? You're seeing more like coffee shops and things like that and some of the design? Well, everybody's thinking retail. I mean, yeah. again, you're hearing hospitals say customers, retail, that mindset, branding, protecting our um, turf, if you will. So they're thinking like a retailer, yeah. which means you got to have services of a retailer. Yeah. yeah, well, that's important. Well, stay tuned. We're going to have more on healthcare and healthcare real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about health care and health care real estate. My guests are Paul Zeman, President National Healthcare Capital Market Group, and Henry Johnson, Chief strategy officer with freeze johnson and uh paul i'd like to talk about investment property sales i mean everybody thinks that, that healthcare real estate's a real uh sexy place to to put their money but it's also a very involved sector you know what do you see for investment sales volume uh so far this year and how's that comparing to to recent years you know michael in the first quarter of 2014 we were well behind the pace that was set in 2013 mm-hmm. but we've recaptured and and pushed beyond uh in the second quarter uh, second quarter sales volume was about 1.6 billion which sounds like a lot, but on a large scale, it's, uh, it's, it's dwarfed by uh, office properties, right. which we'll talk about. Yeah. And let's talk about cap rates a little bit. Of course, everybody wants to know about cap rates, but of course, cap rates are going to vary depending on the building, the, the submarket, and of course, the tenant and the age of the building. But when you talk about institutional quality medical office buildings overall in the U.S., what are you seeing for cap rates? You know, Michael, we're seeing for, again, institutional quality, greater than $5 million transactions, 
Um, we're seeing an average cap rate in the low sevens, 7.2, seven and a quarter, somewhere in that ballpark. However, uh, I've got to emphasize that there's a lot of factors um, that, that affect cap rate, including the proximity to campus, how the leases are structured, the credit of the tenants, whether there's hospital sponsorship, the types of guarantees, the debt on the property. There's a, there's a, lot, a lot going on. Right. So just don't go out and pay a, a seven cap or expect to get a seven cap if you've got a medical office building. That's just an average. And uh, uh, so give us an, an example of, of where a, of a different cap rate on a building. You know, well, I, I think that what I would really need to point out especially is that how the property is structured in terms of how the entities are set up, how the leases are structured can can really mean a difference in millions come disposition time. Mm-hmm. But in terms of uh, uh, a cap rate. I'll give you an example of a property that I'm working on in South Carolina right now uh, that's off campus, but it's institutional quality and it has solid credit, but there's uh, uh, there are some other factors that are driving the cap rate a little closer to nine. Uh, and we see the on-campus trophy properties um, trade uh, sometimes in the low sixes. So there's uh, the seven, the seven two, seven and a quarter is definitely an average. Yeah, and I think that's a valid point to, to bring up there that you mentioned about, you know, the setup of the leases and the expenses and, and how things are set up on these buildings can really dramatically impact the value when you when it comes time to to monetize or refinance or, or sell the assets. So, um, you know, how if you're buying a building, you were setting up a building, you know, how could you find out? Hey, what should I do here? How should I set things up to maximize value? You know, you you want to think about uh, a lot of the items, like you mentioned, the lease terms, the lease structures, mm-hmm. where interest rates are, mm-hmm. uh, what type of capital stack or possibly capital expenditures you, you have coming at you, and, uh, and, and what the market is doing overall. All right, so maybe instead of waiting to call you when they're ready to sell, maybe call you a little sooner, you know, when they have some big decisions, or maybe when they're setting the asset up in the beginning, right, to set it up correctly in the first place. I mean, I've heard you tell people before uh, that, you know, that one change you did in the setup changed the value about a million dollars. And we call you before, yeah, we need you to sell the building to give us some advice. You know, it's it's never too late, but yeah, I'd like to hear from you today. <laughs> Even if you were to sell in five years, it's a great idea to start kind of planning the exit. Mike, okay. I think the uh, two, you know, some of these properties are more specialized. I think the underwriting of those and how you're seeing the cap rate spreads are uh, pretty significant and how the businesses ran and like the replacement value in the life after the building. You probably see that, Paul, where, you know, if you're putting $500 a square foot into a property and it, it can only be used at that specific use, that probably plays a, a pretty strong role in how you're going to be able to sell that asset. Absolutely. The specific of the of the use can can limit the uses down the road and affect uh, value. And, and, Paul, the cap rates for medical office do tend to to trend a little higher than just regular office space. And w- what is the difference there and why? You know, Michael, that's always baffled me a little bit, mm-hmm. why medical office cap rates would be a little bit higher than office. But I- I've just got to pin it down on the, the, the cost of the build-out and the cost of relocating healthcare tenants in a medical office building are far greater than uh, the cost associated with an office building. And uh, that just is all factored in eventually in the underwriting. Yeah, because it's just an office building, but there's a lot more going on, right? It's just more difficult office well, building. Said that people ask, what's the difference between medical office and office? And I say, we're, they're very similar, but medical office is just really complicated office. Right, exactly. So. 
I can imagine managing uh, a medical office building is going to be a lot more uh, difficult, a lot more going on uh, than a normal office building. And and while we're on that subject, uh, let's talk about the size of the market a little bit. I mean, it's a very specialized market, isn't it? What's the what's the difference in the size of the regular office market compared to medical office? You know, medical office really only represents about four percent of the size of the office market. And in fact, in the second quarter, like we mentioned about $1.6 billion of medical office buildings traded, almost $28 billion worth of office properties traded in the second quarter. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing difference. And 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 I guess that's not going to change, right? I mean, you, you would expect that, well, we're going to see more medical demand. And in some cases, we're seeing the square footage per employee shrink on regular office, but it's probably not going to change significantly, is it? It's still a small market compared to office. True. Too. You've, you've, um, I read recently in a study that showed that uh, healthcare systems actually still hold 80-85% of the assets. So maybe when uh, trying to keep up with the Affordable Care Act and electronic medical records and whatnot, you may see those guys begin to monetize some of those assets. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good time for large healthcare systems to consider building buildings and uh, you know you sell those buildings when you move in if you like or, or hold them. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on healthcare and healthcare real estate. I'm Michael Ball. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit commercialrealestateshow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Our topic today is healthcare real estate. We're talking with Paul Zeman, President of National Healthcare Capital Market Group with Bull Realty, and Henry Johnson with Freeze Johnson. And, and Paul, is it time to sell your medical office building right now? Is it a good time? You know, Michael, a lot of really savvy investors do think this is the time, just forecasting what interest rates are going to do next year. But I would say that the answer is it, it depends. And uh, what I like to do is act in this advisory role with the other folks on my team to, to analyze properties very carefully and, and look at the many factors uh, like we talked about, lease terms, interest rates, uh, the market overall, and, and help the, the owner decide, is it really a good time to sell? Right. And you also, are, you're looking at their, their capital stack on their building, right? You're looking at the investors involved in the deal, but oft, oftentimes it could be a great timing to, to take the property market, but it may not be a right time for your particular building or your investors, right? That's true. Yeah. And uh, what about loans right now? It seems like lenders love uh, medical office. They feel real safe about it. What type of... Uh, uh, down payment, loan-to-value ratio loan can you get, and, and what kind of rates, and let's say if you're you're a user, for sake, can you get 100% financing if you're a user? Well, you know, it's interesting, Michael. I've had some conversations the last couple of days with uh, with Sean McBride over at Wells Fargo and also with uh, Joe Black, who is sort of our overall uh, finance guru. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that uh, if you're a user, some of the SBA loans are as much as a 90 
90-10 loan to value ratio, but Mm -hmm. more for investment properties in the 75 to 85% range. Okay. And the rates are still pretty low today, right? You know, we're seeing low fours to to mid fives. I think some extraordinary circumstances, they could be lower. And I know a lot of the deals that you work on are large and, and your your buyers are paying cash, but, but let's say I'm buying a, a $5 million building and I want to finance it. What might be a typical down payment uh, uh, that the lenders are looking for? You know, anywhere from uh, 15 to, to 25% of, of the 5 million. Okay. That's what we're seeing too. I think um, you know, short. The, th- the key too is short-term rates, right? Can you get? We're seeing these 15 to 18-month uh, short-term construction loans, and the generally LIBOR plus uh, one and three-quarter percent, so close to two percent. Okay. And what do you guys feel about the future of of healthcare or real estate? You know, I think it still remains a very strong sector. Mm-hmm. It's a very competitive sector mm-hmm. um, of commercial real estate. It's, uh, like I said, it's dwarfed by some of the others, like Office, like we talked about earlier. But uh, it's what I do, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And you guys are building them like crazy, right? We are. We are. I mean, I think the demand, just based on the sheer growth of the baby boomer, boomer generation and the, uh, you know, patients are living longer. And what about construction costs? What are you seeing? I, I hear that construction costs are really going up. What's, what are you really seeing? They are. You know, there's a number of things that impact that. And I think really it's resources, right? Material resources and human resources. I think there's so much going on. If you look at the various markets across the country, you know, high-rise apartments, probably a good one. Think about the drywall uh, mechanics and the materials it takes to go into a high-rise building. That really sucks a lot of oxygen out of the, um, out of the supply. And is the biggest increase uh, in labor, or is it in materials? Probably in both. I'd say a little more in labor, but a small amount in materials. And I don't really see that changing in the foreseeable future. I think um, it's going to continue. A lot of people in the downturn after 2008 simply get out of the business. Mm-hmm. There's architects that disappeared, engineers that disappeared. A lot of our people, you know, we, we, we've battled apartment developers for human capital. Right. So... Well, it's a good time to get in the construction business. Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. And if you'd like more information from these guys, their websites will be at the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. And please join us next week and every week for your source for commercial real estate information. Remember, if you're listening to the show on one of the radio stations, you can catch our shows online on iTunes. You can pick show topics of your choice to listen to at any time. Also, the shows are available on commercialrealestateshow.com website. You have blogs, videos, catch us there. You can also reach out to us through the site at any time. Thanks for joining us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Florida International University. Earn your commercial real estate master's degree in as little as 10 months. Visit FIUonline.com. And Bull Realty Commercial Brokers, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. And France Media Publications and Conferences. For exposure to the world of commercial real estate, visit francemediainc.com.